You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Never in the history of the Western world has there been a subject upon which more and more eloquently has been written than the subject before us this morning, the sanctity of study. But my message this morning will be short. In fact, almost brief. (laughs) There's an advantage in this. A short message, theoretically, should be easier to remember and easier to act upon, like a stop sign. or a kiss. And the simple message this morning, the brief message this morning, is just this. God's holy word, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who died for our sins on the cross, the power and grace of God's Holy Spirit, and the authority of the church over these 2,000 years, gained by study, by teaching, by wise counsel, by missionary zeal, These eternal and supreme authorities do not command, do not even suggest, do not hint that you should be a good student. They do not. What God's holy word and what our Savior in his conscious atonement on the cross and what the grace and power of God do command is that you should be the best student that you and God working together are capable of being. These supreme and eternal authorities do not require that you be a good student any more than they command that you be young or strong or have perfect pitch or have a good eye for color. What the authorities upon which we have based our lives and our existences and all our earthly hopes and eternal hopes, what they do command is that you should be the best student that you and God together can make of you. Study to show yourself approved of God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. 2 Timothy 2.15 You are called here and now to work. I don't mean to work in terms of invest a great deal of physical labor in a project. That may well be true. But work, I mean, work in the scriptural sense. This is your endeavor. This is what you are called to do. This is your task. One might say in the short term, this is your destiny. This is the dignity that attaches to your existence at this point. For most of you, four years, for some who feel called to work that requires more education beyond the baccalaureate level, it'll be for more than four years. If you were called to some other place at some other time, your work would be different. But whatever your work is, God's holy word, his grace, example, the fact, the witness, the power of our Lord on the cross, all combine to tell us that whatever your work is, you must do it to the best of your ability. Nothing more is required, and nothing less is acceptable. What motive do you have for obeying the command of God other than blind adoration and love for our Lord God? Your first motive for doing what God commands is not what people will think. It is not even what people will know. My dear friend Howard Barnett once told me something years ago. I have never forgotten it. It's the single most helpful sentence anybody ever told me, and I will share it with you now. There is no end, no limit to how much you can do for God's kingdom so long as you do not care who gets the credit. Your first motive for doing as God commands is not 
what people will think or even what they will know. Your first motive, your number one motive, the first and primary motivating force of your entire life should be that you would love and glorify God with your heart and mind and soul and body. In the middle of the 19th century, a man named John Ruskin wrote a book called The Seven Lamps of Architecture, long forgotten, relegated to the dust and shadows. But in its day, it was the leading text in aesthetics, which we may define as the study of why things are beautiful. And in this long forgotten book, John Ruskin said there were seven reasons why things are beautiful, seven lamps of architecture. And the first of these, he said, was the lamp of sacrifice. And he gave this example. He said, in the medieval cathedrals of France, the work that is done at the very top, the dressing of the stone, the polishing, the cleaning, the joining of the stones together, is as good, it's as true, it's as detailed and careful as that which is down on the ground floor where the priests and the archbishop and the lords of creation could look and reward and flatter. So says John Ruskin, that is the difference between a medieval worker who loved God and knew that only God would see his work on the top of the cathedral and a modern worker, said Ruskin, who loves only money. So the first motive you have for being the best student you can be is that it is your fit and proper love offering to God Almighty. The second reason, the second motive, second in priority, second in time, second in place in the hierarchy of values in your mind and heart, is that you should do your best in your studies, your very best, because it is a witness. We are ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors for Christ, as though God himself did beseech you through us. Second Corinthians, as you all know, a well-known verse. But what does it mean for you? You claim to believe, and when I say you, I speak collectively. We as a community claim to believe not only that Jesus Christ died on the cross in conscious atonement in his own blood for our sins, but we believe beyond that that his love and power can dominate our lives. We claim to believe that we can appropriate this, we can have this, we can take this incredible gift, this incredible power and grace unto ourselves right today, right this morning. You, we all claim to believe this. That's what holiness means. Witness to the consecration that holiness calls for. Holiness, holiness unto the Lord, is conscious consecration. It is an entire and complete will. It is integrity. Do the very best you can in your studies. Among believers, you will be a model. You will be an inspiration. You will be an encouragement. To non-believers, you will be ambassadors of the power and grace of God Almighty. The kingdom of Christ is brought into disrepute if it proclaims an ignorant or provincial image. Remember that Christ Almighty died on the cross for the learned and refined and well-read, as well as he died on the cross for all men. There's a certain snobbishness sometimes, a certain anti-intellectualism among certain extreme Christians that pretends to believe, although it's nonsense, that educated people and refined people and artistic people and well-read, well-informed, cultured people are somehow beyond the pall of redemption, uh, the atoning work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Somehow that we have reversed snobism and look down on them because they're too clever for contempt. The idea that Christianity should proclaim an ignorant or a provincial or a lazy or a careless image is not only laughable, it's not only despicable, it is positively wicked. We have a witness in the world and that witness can nowhere be better achieved and nowhere more effectively and efficiently extolled than that you show the world that in the place you are now called, the time and place, the work to which God Almighty has called you, and in which your parents and your friends and the faculty here support you and love you, that you are doing in that the very best you can.
And the third reason that we have, together, collectively, to do the best we can on our studies, is that it is this work which we are called to do here and now to prepare ourselves for our place in the work of the kingdom. To acquire knowledge, to acquire skill, to acquire discipline, to acquire habits of mind and heart, which will strengthen us, fortify us, prepare us, be resources for us for our entire lives. And for those who feel called to work, as Dr. Stevens did, and as we have all felt called to work, and as many of your parents have, who are pastors and professional people, feel called to work that extends beyond the baccalaureate, good work at this time will not only provide you with, with the knowledge and skills you'll need for the work to come, but it will also earn you the privilege of entering into that work, which in some cases, in some institutions, is competitive. I refer certainly to medicine, to law, to a CPA, to biblical studies, to a master of fine arts, a master of social work, a master of education. You are called of God this morning to do the very best you can. God does not require you to be a good student, but he does require that you be the best student you can. To glorify him, to witness to your brothers and sisters, and to those who are in a lost world, and to prepare yourself for the work God has for you in the kingdom. I would like to read in conclusion a little poem. I don't usually do this, and I can't remember poems, so I'm going to have to read it. The sainted Charles Wesley wrote 6,000 poems. One of them appeared for many years in the old-style Methodist hymnal, and I came across it, and I want to share with you four verses. Servant of all, I have to change my glasses here. Servant of all, to toil for man, thou didst not, Lord, refuse. Thy majesty did not disdain to be employed for us. Son of the carpenter, receive this humble work of mine, worth to thy meanest labor give by joining it to thine. End of my every action thou, in all things thee I see, except my hallowed labor now, I do it unto thee. Thy bright example I pursue, to thee in all things rise, and all I think or speak or do is one great sacrifice. Thank you.